Welcome to another bonus podcast. My name is Crystal Taves. I'm one of the pastors here at Northview Community Church, and I'm joined today by Thalia. Hello. Who is our pastor of care. Mm -hmm. And also by Steve Kim. Hello. Uh, Steve is a member of our Apologetics Canada team here that works out of our office, and we're going to give him some time to promo some of his stuff there. But I first thought I would just tell you what our topic is today, and then we'll go into some of that promo. Uh, Steve is Korean, and uh, we were um, wanting to talk about racism. It's a topic that we've chatted about together, and so we thought well, this would be a great opportunity to have him on the, on the podcast. So yeah. stay tuned. We will talk about racism in a few minutes, but I wanted to give <laughs> Steve a few moments just to tell us a little bit about Apologetics Canada, what your new initiatives are, what mm. is exciting in your department mm -hmm. these days. Uh, so go. Yeah, uh, thank you. So. I work for those, I'm assuming most of the listeners are Northview goers, so they're probably familiar with Apologetics Canada already, but um, if you're kind of tuning in from elsewhere for the first time, Apologetics Canada is an apologetics arm, if you will, of Northview Community Church. Uh, and our mission is to help equip local churches and across Canada um, so that Christians can can be a, an influencer in the in the public sphere. Okay, wait, hang on, Steve. So yeah. some people tuning in for the first time might think, Apologetics Canada, we need to say sorry for our faith? Uh, yes. <laughs> you uh, we explain hear that, that a little bit. We hear that all the time. Um, the word apologetics actually comes from the Greek word apologia, um, and you find that in 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says, in your heart set Christ apart as Lord, uh, and always be ready to give an answer uh, to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. And that word, give an answer, is the word apologia. And that word actually is still in use today in Greece uh, when a defense lawyer makes a defense for mm. the defendant. That's called apologia. And so um, apologetics is that branch of theology that seeks to give rational basis for the Christian truth claims. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were brought up in the church like I was, uh, you might resonate with me on this. I always felt like the church has been great at telling me what to believe, but not right. why. Right. And so we're all about kind of educating Christians on the why of their faith. Does yeah. God exist? How do we know this? You know, did Jesus rise from the dead? I mean, it's it's only the linchpin of the whole Christian movement. And so um, those are the kinds of things that we do. And we do that in various ways. Um, one of my main responsibilities at Apologetics Canada is to organize, uh, oversee the organization of uh, our annual apologetics conference that uh, Northview graciously hosts every year. Uh, it's always a hoot. Uh, mm -hmm. We invite some top-notch Christian thinkers. Yeah. Uh, and this year, for the first time, we're actually inviting a secular humanist as well mm -hmm. for, oh, a, for a dialogue. Um, and that's happening on March 2nd and 3rd. Uh, the dialogue uh, will be between Dr. Andy Bannister, uh, whom we've had here before, yep. great Christian thinker, and secular humanist Justin Trottier. And they will be having a conversation on the foundation for human rights, mm -hmm. whether Christianity or secularism. Huh, has a better way, yeah. grounds. Right, which one is the better, yeah. better uh, well, foundation. That's going to be interesting. And then um, I also host our Apologetics Canada podcast every uh, every Thursday. We, we try to release that every Thursday. It doesn't always happen that way, but 
Uh, yeah, I host that every week. Uh, that's been doing super well. We try to give a Christian perspective on some of the cultural issues, mm-hmm. um, anything from ethics to politics to history to philosophy, anything in between. And so people could just go on iTunes and download it or on your website or what's the best way for people to find that podcast? Yeah, uh, the easiest way would be to just go to iTunes and or any uh, podcast catcher app that you use and yeah. search for Apologetics Canada and that should pop up pretty quickly. Um, for a while there, I, I think we might still be one of the top 50 podcasts in the religion and spirituality category, or at least we were at a t- at one point, and we thought that was crazy. So, so give <laughs> um, a flavor of some of the topics you've covered recently. Uh, just recently, we talked about the um, the incident coming out of Wilfrid Laurier University, where the TA, Lindsay Shepard, uh, was reprimanded by showing a clip of a debate w- with Jordan Peterson and... Nicholas Matt on a kind of a moderate talk show uh, discussing the use of gender neutral pronouns. Hmm. She just showed it in the spirit of debate in her words, and then she got reprimanded for it because some students got offended um, by that. And so there, that kind of sparked the whole, you know, freedom of speech, uh, that, that sort of thing, that debate. And so we covered that just a little while ago. Uh, and just yesterday, we had an interview with Natasha Crane, who's a Christian parenting blogger yeah, and author. She's come here to the conference before. Yeah, and uh, she's come out with a new book, so we interviewed uh-huh. her on that. Um, so that's coming out actually as the date of the recording here mm-hmm. today. So nice. That's coming out. Those are that's a, that's a, just a sampling of what yeah. we talk about. Yeah. So you talked about the podcast, and you yeah. talk about the conference. Tell us a little bit about the Human Project. Yeah. Um, if you know us and if you've been following us for the last little while, you know that we've released the Thinking Series. Mm-hmm. It was a five-part video discussion tool that we released a couple of years ago. Uh, we're doing another project called the Human Project this time. And basically what it is is we want to have a better understanding of who God is through the lens of what we are, human beings, his image bearers. And so we uh, ask four questions. What is human? What is the value of human life? Uh, what leads to human flourishing and how should humans live? And we find that in each of these cases, if you remove God from the picture, everything breaks apart. Hmm. So, uh, you know, what happens when you remove God from the universe? Yeah. We're nothing but colliding particles. So what is human after all? You know, right. that, those sorts of things. And so we ask those four questions. Um, and the filming is almost done. Uh, just... Last, uh, just last week, uh, Andy Steiger, my boss, he came back from Uganda uh, to yep. film actually the first episode. We, we don't do this in order, but yeah, he just came back from it and he's taking off to Ottawa soon to okay. film the last uh, last session. And so uh, and he's that's been, been in Korea with it mm-hmm. too. And where else in the yeah, world? He went um, down to Portland. He went one. down to Portland. Yeah. That was the first one. And then we went out to Korea where I was born and raised. And we can talk about a little bit more about that later. Uh, yeah, so we went there back in December. Um, I, I was their translator. So I was sort of the conduit, right? <laughs> so neat. anything they needed, they needed uh, needed to get done. They needed me to help translate. So I was being pulled up, pulled the in. power, Steve. Yeah. A thousand different directions. <laughs> I'm not sure I want that kind of power. It was, it was, everything was coming through me. So I was, um, I was pretty tired, but it was so worth it um, doing, you know, doing this ministry work that I'm passionate about yeah. and being able to kind of contribute with my language skills. That was yeah. a real treat. 
Yeah, and the Human Project uh, will be released at the conference, March 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. Go to apologeticscanadaconference.com and you can sign up for the conference and come and check out our premiere of the Human Project. Nice. Sounds good. Yeah. So let's start our topic then. Yeah. We well, are why talk- don't you say how this topic came out? Yeah. yeah. So a few weeks ago, I was sitting with Steve at our lunch, one of our lunch tables in our lunchroom here at Northview, and a few other staff were with us. And we just were chatting like we normally do, mm-hmm. and we started talking about the topic of racism. And Steve was telling his story about coming to Canada and his thoughts about people of different ethnic origins before he came here and how it changed after. And we were gripped. Our table was so interested in this conversation. And I thought, what a great podcast topic. So we invited him and he said he would come and this is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start, can I let us in on that conversation? Mm -hmm. Give us a little bit of your background, how you came to Canada and how old you were and those kind of things. Well, I was born and raised in Korea, uh, south, uh, south of the south. In fact, I, I am from this southeastern province where we speak in our own dialect mm-hmm. and apparently when I speak in Korean I sound pretty hick like it's kind of like the <laughs> it's Texan like the Alabama drawl. or something yeah, yeah something like that yeah. right that's funny um, so uh, I came to Canada to the Vancouver area uh, just shortly after I turned 14 my dad uh, because he's the oldest among his siblings the onus culturally falls on him to take care of his parents okay. when in their old age. And so I grew up with my grandparents and one of the responsibilities was to, you know, if they ever go on travels anywhere, often my dad would accompany them. And so one year my uncles and my aunt, they decided to send my um, grandparents on a world tour as a kind of a thank you gift for raising us kind of thing. Okay. It's, oh. it's such a filial piety like driven this. kind yeah, of I know. Yeah, I know. Kids, right? are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take note, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to make notes where yeah. I would like to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, my dad actually had a chance to go to lots of different places with my grandparents, like, you know, to the Latin Americas, Europe and Australia. And one mm-hmm. of the places that he actually had a chance to go visit was Canada. Um, and so he, that's when he decided that they should probably move somewhere else uh, because yeah. at the time he didn't really like how the politics was going, how the education system was run and everything. So he thought, you know, we want, I want to give my kids the best chance they can. And so right. we decided to move to Canada. It was a toss up between Canada and Australia, apparently. So oh, I could have ended up in Australia with an Aussie accent. Well, know. and Canada's a big country. So why Vancouver area? Um, because Vancouver had this reputation for being a really beautiful city. Mm. Um, and, and he visited Vancouver when he was here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, and apparently when you go on these tours, they, they go to all these beautiful places, but they uh, always make, make the point, with this travel agency anyway, they may always make the point of going to downtown east side. Right. That's their last stop. Because otherwise people get so kind of, you know, enamored with with Canada just you know not and so they mm-hmm. want to give them a bit more of a you know here's here's the darker side too you yeah. know Canada isn't a perfect country so kind of your grungier side yeah, yeah. and so you, you got to look at this too but um that didn't stop my my dad and so he, he uh thought yeah Vancouver is the place to go especially because it's just on the other side of the mm-hmm. Pacific Ocean so it's easier to travel to Korea if need be better than Toronto were so. his parents still alive at this point when he moved here Yes. When you um, moved here as a family? Well, when my dad decided to move and broke the news, my both of my grandparents were alive. Okay. Um, 
And normally, you know, my grandparents' generation, they're pretty conservative socially. And so typically they're like, you know, you're, you were born in Korea, you're Korean, this is where you're going to bury your bones, yeah. those sorts of things. But my grandparents were pretty kind of progressive in that way. Okay. <laughs> and so, well, if that's what you think is best for your kids, go do it. Um, my grandfather passed away a couple months before we came to Canada, okay. uh, but my grandmother's still living. Hmm. Um, she's 90 years of age and um, she's getting pretty frail. So I've been making a point of going to see her whenever I, I can. And so right. last September when we were in Korea for filming the human project, I had a chance to visit her oh, as well. That's great. So that was, that was a real treat. So you were 14 when you came. Mm-hmm. You've said you have a brother yes. who is older than you at the time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. he was how old? He was 17. Okay. Um, I also have an older sister. Okay. She's, she was 19 at the time. Um, I, I had just turned 14. So it was the three of us and my dad and my stepmom. Uh, so we came here and... Um, Where did he settle? We settled in Port Coquitlam okay. uh, because there weren't very many Koreans there. <laughs> and my dad, his huh. attitude was... This is where you're going to live. This is where this is going to be your home. So you learn the language, learn the culture as yeah. quickly as you can. Don't stay in a Korean community. Like, right. So yeah. that was his his uh, shtick, if so you will. Tell us a little bit then. Before you came to Korea, how Canada? were you thinking? <laughs> sorry, yes. When, before you came to Canada from Korea, <laughs> what were you thinking about kind of Canadians and white people and all this kind of thing? And then what did how did mm-hmm. that change when you were here? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Korea, North and South, uh, Korea as uh, as a whole is a very ethnically homogeneous country. It's one of the most ethnically homogeneous countries in the world. What that means is that I, I growing up, I hardly had any contact with the Western world mm. except through Hollywood. Right. Right. So um, I'm growing up watching all these movies and, and some TV shows and things like that. So by the time I came to Canada, I, it was, I was dead set in my mind. Well, maybe not dead set, but I, I thought, you know, white people are supremacists. Black people are thugs. I mean, Latinos, <laughs> Latinos, they weren't even a category in my head. Um, as far as I was concerned, concerned, they were white. Right. And so, uh, and Asians are kind of just kind of caught somewhere in the middle. Okay. You know, uh, in this kind of fight between the whites and blacks and things like that. Because, I mean, I grew up watching shows like Cops or, you know, whatever. So very right? stereotypical very categories. Stereotypical. TV shows and movies, you're yeah. saying, not just yeah. movies. or. Yeah. And so, uh, and my view of white women wasn't all that kind either because in my head like they were the loosest thing on the planet (laughs) and so um that i I came with a lot of that preconceived notions when i came to canada at first okay and so then how did it change i know you had some stories that you were telling us around the table yeah um it it changed because i went to school and actually met people (laughs) Uh, so the first day i went to school uh, my dad dropped me off, and I was supposed to go to the office. And I had only been there once, and I didn't know this school, and so I wasn't sure where the office was. So I stopped the first person I could and asked where the office was. And the person that I stopped was this white kid. Um, and I was a little uncomfortable, but I asked him, hey, you know, like, can you tell me where the office is? So he rattled off in English, which I didn't really speak much of at all at the time, and so he, he told me where the office was, but then he realized that I was 
that was pretty new, you. right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I looked like an immigrant. I dressed <laughs> like an immigrant. Like everything was, like, everything was screaming immigrant, right? Like doesn't speak English very well. And so new immigrant here. So he actually took me, to, he actually took the time to actually take me to the office right. and dropped me off right there. And just my mind was blown. I'm like, that white kid was actually really nice to me. <laughs> Who would have thunk? You know? Interesting. And, and, and then um, I, you know, I, I was in ESL class, and one of the guys there uh, was this Sudanese guy. Um, and he was actually one of my closest friends. And it just really, again, it, it kind of shattered my notion of black people being thugs. I'm like, he's, he's, he's the nicest kid ever. Right. Right. And so um, just kind of spending time with them uh, o- over the years, I realized, yeah, you know, there are some people who are supremacists, white people who are supremacists. There are also some people, some black people who are thugs. But hey, there are white people who are thugs. There are <laughs> yeah. black people who are supremacists. Asians can be super racist too, and and so I came to the conclusion that this this it's not as cut and dry yeah. as I kind of had perceived it from watching Hollywood movies. Did you come from a Christian family? Yes. Um, now, different people have different opinions on this, but I was born and raised in a kind of a Roman Catholic family. Okay. My my grandparents and my dad actually used to be Buddhist. Okay. Uh, mm. um, so I guess it's not entirely accurate to say I was born in a I was born in a Buddhist family, really. But then in my early years, my grandmother um, got baptized in this Roman Catholic church and the rest of the family was baptized. For some reason, I didn't get baptized until I was in grade three. I don't know why they did that oh. because according to Catholic theology, if you don't get baptized, that's like you're playing with fire, yeah, right? I mean, if you, you die, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And so why didn't you baptize me until I was in grade yeah. three? And first communion with that as well. And so, yeah, but uh, after I came to Canada... I uh, sort of hopped the Reformation fence, as it were, and uh, just uh, you or your family entirely. Just me, my okay. family, uh, except for my grandmother. She's a very devout uh, Catholic believer, and my dad was pretty sincere about it too before he passed on. I mm-hmm. think, but the rest of the family in Canada, they're they're not really Christians, as far as I'm concerned. Unfortunately, okay. mm-hmm. I'm sort of the black sheep in that in that way. So, where which mm-hmm. was the first church that you attended? Like um, a Protestant church, first Protestant, um, actually Tri City. Okay. Oh, Hyde interesting. Creek. Interesting. Right? Yeah. But back when it was Hyde Creek Community Church, huh. that's uh, my one of my friends' best friends, Mike Friesen, uh, good solid man. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it was really through him and his family that that um, see, I had grow I had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, um, but I hadn't really taken it to my heart like it yeah. wasn't my faith it was my parents faith that yeah. something that I just inherited and I realized that after my dad passed away because nobody was taking me to church and mm. so I was just kind of I was in a limbo and then I met Mike and his family a very solid Mennonite family that actually to them the Bible actually mattered huh. they actually read it and actually applied the biblical principles to their lives and I saw the difference that made the kind of peace and harmony that they had I mean they weren't mm-hmm. a perfect family but they certainly had the kind of peace and harmony that I could only wish that we had in my family. And so I said, I want that. So I started following mm-hmm. him to his church and realized that evangelicals are not the kind of heretics that I thought they were. <laughs> this seems to be a theme. You know, I have these preconceived notions of people and yeah. then they get broken down. 
that's pretty normal for most of us. Yes. That's so, funny though, all those connections back to yeah, Tri-City back to Tri-City and City. High mm-hmm. Creek and Coquitlam. And, so the, yeah. for our listeners who don't know, Tri-City is now one of our campuses of Northview. It's actually a, a cooperative church plant, if you want to put it that way, between us and Westside and Crossridge. Mm. It's in the Port Coquitlam area and Matt Glezos is the lead pastor, also mm-hmm. staff here at Northview. Yeah. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'd love to go back and see. I haven't seen the church since they got it got renovated. So. I know I haven't either. I'd yeah. like to go. I'd love to go mm-hmm. see. Um, yeah. Let's go field trip over Christmas. Or I something. know. Except we won't <laughs> be around. Yeah. So yeah. we started talking about racism. Mm-hmm. Steve, how would you define racism? I, I think the generic definition works. Uh, the way I define racism is that belief or attitude that one race is intrinsically superior to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it, I, I think that that is probably the best definition, except that's not how it is often defined, especially in universities today. Okay. Um, because in universities, they also throw in power. So it is that attitude or belief that um, one race is superior to another but it, it, it's only considered racism if somebody who, uh, the, the kind of, if, if you will, the race that has power yep. has that attitude toward another race that doesn't okay. have that kind of power. So typically the way it's framed is white people have this, this white privilege and, and social and economic power. And so when white people discriminate against black people, now that's racism. But if black people discriminate against white people, that's not racism. Because they don't have the same because power. Because they don't have the same they don't have the same power. So you would argue that that's not an accurate way to look at it. No, I think I think that doesn't really work, I don't think, because you could come up with situations where a black person has power and it's the white person who doesn't have any power. So if you have say a poor farmer but white farmer boy from rural i don't know kentucky somewhere and say oprah comes along and spouts off all kinds of racist slurs and things like that now according to this definition you know um well not according to this definition according to the way people typically think about it oprah because she's black she can't be right racist but I mean, she just fulfilled all the categories, right? She has power, right? I mean, she has far more economic advantages and power than this poor white farmer boy from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it doesn't make sense that, you know, it's only when one race does this to another is it considered racism. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So um, I, I don't think that element, that component, that power component clarifies anything so so how have you experienced racism i've i've actually had it pretty easy and one of the things that my family liked about canada was that it was not as racist as the united states that was the perception um and so when we came to canada one of the reasons we wanted to go to a place like vancouver is yeah you know it, it's a bit more urban yeah so there are a lot uh, of nationalities be, represented yeah there. yeah a lot, a lot more diverse and and things like this. So, I mean, I, I have experienced racism, but it's pretty minor, right? Like, I mean, I was sitting, um, it was during General Assembly, and I, I was sitting, and I was sitting like I was taught to with proper posture, straight back, and, <laughs> and, and that looked really funny to some white kids, I guess, right? And, and one, one guy just kind of pushed me over. 
right? And then he puts his hands together and does this kind of bow thing to me. I'm just like, well, that that was racist. But I mean, minor things. Yeah. Um, my friends, they've experienced something maybe a bit more serious uh, in other places around the world. For example, I have a drummer friend. His name is Yule. He used to take drum lessons from this top-notch drummer. Um, he's the kind of guy that play for all these like really like names that we would recognize in pop culture, right? So he actually went to the UK to take lessons from him. And so he went to Birmingham because that's where he was. When he was in Birmingham, he said, uh, he said, Birmingham is so racist. I'm like, really? I thought it was a really kind of a diverse kind of a city. He's like, it is, but also white people are super racist because while I was there, this guy, uh, this restaurant owner came came up to me and just offered me a dishwashing job just because I was Asian. <laughs> and, and as I was loading my car with like drums and things like that, a couple of white kids walking by, they mocked me, you know, you're Asian, you can't play drums. You know, you, you don't know oh, the first thing yeah. about rhythm. That, that, those sorts of things, right? And so, um, yeah, my friends kind of experienced it a little bit more uh, seriously than, than I have perhaps, but I've kind of seen sort of little hints of it here and there. Um, so can I throw a question at you that we didn't yeah. prepare you for? <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so can you talk about your marriage? You mm. are married to a white girl. And what is yes. this like? <laughs> and what was this like for your family being yeah. from Korea and Korean through and through? Talk to us a little bit about interracial marriage and what that means for you. Yeah. Um, interracial marriage. Yeah, my, my wife is from Alberta, sort of all over Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer. Um, she's white as they come. Um, Fantastic, by the way. Sharina is her name. Yeah, uh, she's a student midwife. Yeah. Um, love her to bits. Uh, and we make some pretty cute kids. Then <laughs> 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 um, no, that was a that was a completely neutral and unbiased statement from the father, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, interracial marriages for me it was it was rather. There are certain things you know that that we have to kind of get used to, like different cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. But for us, it ha hasn't been insurmountable. But I can see how in s some interracial marriages, um, some of those cultural differences might be really difficult. So I, I think if you want your interracial marriage to work, you got to make sure that you understand each other's culture yeah. fairly well uh, and that you can actually speak the language really well. Yes. <laughs> so to, to have that really smooth communication because it's hard enough to navigate through marriage without having these cultural, differing cultural mm -hmm. expectations thrown into it. Um, Did you have any pushback from your parents or her parents when you got married? From from her parents, zero. Okay. No resistance from them whatsoever. Um, I think they kind of always knew that Sharina wouldn't marry a white guy. <laughs> Just kind of, you know, her, given her history and, 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 you know, her preferences and things like that, I think. Um, but uh, my family, well, my brother and my sister, they didn't really care. Um, my mom, on the other hand, she's a bit more traditional. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was at Columbia Bible College, I was at the time dating a white girl. I, I never had a thing for Asian girls, and my mom knew that, and she didn't like that very much. Uh. She, and, and it didn't, like, her, basically, her hierarchy was, um, I would really love for you to marry a Korean girl, Yeah. but if you just can't 
you know, find a Korean girl. I'll settle for any Asian girl. <laughs> but if you really can't, oh, I don't know, maybe white girl. But like, she would have really drawn the line. I'm like, well, I don't know about marrying an Indian girl, a black girl, or whatever, right? Okay, so um, stop for a second right there. That kind of blows a little bit of my circuits yeah. in the fact that the perception often is that Asian people are sort of uh, sometimes in competition with each other. So that surprises me that your parents would be, or your mom would be sort of um, Korean first and then any other Asian second before yeah. white. Yeah, before yeah. white. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I think, God bless her soul, I love my mother, but I think she's also, you know, the product of her times, okay. right? And, and again, she, she wasn't very exposed to like different cultures. She came to Canada with the same kind of preconceived notions that I did. Right. Um, she just hasn't been able to come out of that as much as I okay. have because uh, she struggles with the language of it all and, and she hasn't overcome the language barrier very well. Okay. So she doesn't come in really deep, meaningful social contact with oh, yeah. a lot of white people or black people and people of other ethnic origins. And mm -hmm. so I think that's probably where it comes from. She's not trying to be racist, no. but she's, she's just that that's just how she knows life. Yeah. So I don't blame her for it. Um, but um, th there is definitely a sense in the the ethnic some ethnic minority communities that you know if you marry a white person you're sort of getting ahead in the game kind of thing mm. right um, but uh, for my mom it was more important that the family kind of stay Korean okay, if you yeah. will because you know um, and there there is some truth to what she's saying because she would rather have a Korean gal, Korean daughter-in-law with yeah. whom she can communicate yeah. and and understand sort of how the culture works and, and things like that. And so More comfortable. I can yeah. understand that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't completely veto it. Ultimately, she left it up to me. You know, you got to decide. But um, she made her preferences known at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think helps overcome racism? <clears throat> Ah, uh, I think it's really important that you spend time <laughs> with people. Like ju just as I, I think a lot of our conceived notions kind of get broken down when you actually spend time with other people and they don't, they, you see that they don't fit your boxes. You, yeah. They don't fit yeah. your categories. Your and, yeah. and, and the things that you attributed to these, this one particular group of people, you know, it just doesn't carry over um, and things like that. And so I think the first thing is to spend time with them. And I think these these people need to be humanized in your eyes. They, they, they can't just be a generic group of people. Um, my friend, the Sudanese friend that I mentioned earlier, Ahmed was his name. Um, he wasn't just a Sudanese kid. He wasn't just a black kid to me anymore. He was Ahmed. Yeah. Right. And, and so those, those kinds of things. Now, for those listeners who are movie buffs, you might remember the movie American History X. Uh, and if you don't know how what that movie is about, it's about this um, neo-Nazi racist, white supremacist guy down down in the U.S. Um, how he kind of came around uh, out of that movement, and the sort of the turning point is when he is arrested and he is jailed. And in jail, his cellmate is actually black. 
Now, at first, it's super racist, but as they spent more time together, there's that one point where his cellmate cracks a joke and he starts laughing with him. Mm. And that was a real turning point. And, and he opened up to his black cellmate, started hearing things from his side of the perspective and how he, a lot of black people are kind of, they receive unjust penalties or, or disproportionate penalties for their crimes and all that kind of kinds of things, which this white supremacist guy had never really even considered. And so after he leaves his, he, he serves his time, he leaves his jail. By the time he comes out of jail, he's not a white supremacist anymore. He's not oh, a neo-Nazi anymore. And now he has to go home and explain to everybody because he was a pretty prominent figure in his yeah. neighborhood as a white supremacist. Now he has to explain to everybody why he just doesn't, want to have anything to do with neo-Nazism anymore. A little bit like a Saul to Paul experience. <clears throat> right. And, and that, that blinding light was mm -hmm. when, you know, he actually got to meet with a black cellmate and listen to him uh, on his, you know, his take on life and what life is like for him. And I think that's really important that you spend time with the people, especially if you don't know them, if you have some fear of them. I think yeah. um, some Christians have this fear of Muslims uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, just if you if you are fearful of a group of people, you need to go spend time with them if you can. <laughs> well, when you right. talk to like, yeah, Peter and Donlin Prediger, who have so many Muslim refugees in their house right now, they're mm -hmm. saying like, just there's nothing to be afraid of here. Yeah. Like these yeah. people are real people like us. They have stories like mm -hmm. us. What's interesting is that here at church, people are afraid of not only different cultures and backgrounds, but also ages. And so we have like our intergenerational Bible studies where people can get to know people who are much older or much younger or... Um, separated, divorced, single, married, like all of these different sort of categories, like you said, the boxes. Mm -hmm. And so the more we can spend time with people who aren't exactly in our box, that helps yeah. in every category. Yeah. yeah, I think these boxes are helpful to an extent, right? Because stereotypes can be a good thing in the sense that it helps you process information faster. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if, if you were to put me in a box other than Asian, you would probably be wrong in terms of ethnicity, right? right. I'm not white, I'm not black. So there are certain things that are probably true, you know, that, that are stereotypical that are true of me, right? For you're example, so smart, like the Asians yeah. are smart. <laughs> see, see that's, where, that's where I don't fit the box because this guy barely passed math 12. So this whole thing with Asians being good at math, I, I'm not one of them, right? But that's the thing. I mean, um, do I use chopsticks? Absolutely. Do I, do I like rice? Yes. You know, do I like noodles? I, I'm a notorious noodle eater, you know? Th those sorts of things, they all fit the category, um, but there are certain things that don't. And so what I would encourage our listeners to do is, yes, you, you, it's actually okay to have these stereotypes. It's okay to have these boxes. Just hold to them loosely. Right. Because every person is different. Yeah. Right? Everybody has a different story. So, you know, a lot of these might be true of that person, but there might be certain things that are not true. Of that person. Mm -hmm. So sort of like a curious, respectful curiosity would be one way to overcome racism. Right. Uh, I, I would definitely, yeah, I would say that. Ta you talked um, briefly as you were getting ready for the podcast about overcoming it kind of from the victim side, like yeah. in terms of not taking everything that you receive, every opposition piece that you receive as mm -hmm. racism. Maybe just chat a bit about that as we close up here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that was really significant for me because I, I f uh, found this... I saw this in myself that because I came with this kind of victim mentality. And I think this is probably the one thing that hinders the overcoming of racism the most is that victim mentality. 
uh, because as a visible minority coming to Canada, it was really easy for me to attribute everything to racism. Yeah. So uh, a, a kid in high school, you know, like just might say something to me uh, and I think to myself, okay, that's racist. But now I realize, I look back and I go, did he do that because he was racist or did he do a racist thing just to be mean? Now, there's a vast difference. Like, if you yeah. actually want to hurt somebody, you'll use whatever you can as a weapon. Yeah. And race is a is an easy thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's a racist. Um, and uh, also, uh, humor, I found, was really... I, I actually had to learn the sort of the Western sense of humor and oh. the sarcasm and everything. Um, so that, you know, I, I remember I used to get really offended when, when my white friends, for some reason... Chinese friends, they didn't bother me. If they cracked the same jokes, it wouldn't bother me. But white kids saying the same thing, because yeah. of my preconceived notions, I used to take a lot of offense. But at one point, um, I cracked some jokes at them that I thought was racist, just to kind of push back, right? Yeah. And they started laughing. They thought it was hilarious, <laughs> right? And that's that's when things started breaking down. I'm like, okay, they're not actually trying to be mean. This is just them having fun. So yeah. For example, I used to live with a really close friend, uh, Daniel Callahan. Um, he's of Irish descent. Uh, I love him to bits, I, and we share a lot in common. Uh, we used to live together, and I remember I came home, and he had. You know, we took turns making dinner, and I came home. Um, he had made soup. You know, me and me and Strina, You know, so, so he pulled out two bowls. Uh, they had names like Sharina, Steve, and in Sharina's bowl. She had um, like a spoon, and in my bowl there were two chopsticks. I'm like, oh, how culturally sensitive is this, right? <laughs> so I asked him, hey, Dan, what did you make? Soup. Right? I'm like, <laughs> you expect me to eat? Dude, I'm Asian, but I'm not that Asian, you know? Like I uh, see, I could have taken offense at that. Right. Like he's just he's being a racist. He's stereotyping or, me as an Asian, right? Yeah. But because I have this trust with him, I know he is not trying to be. You know, this is not even being mean. This is just him having fun. I That's know that good. for a fact because I can crack other jokes at him. He'll, he'll just find it funny. Yeah. Right. So I think um, kind of one way to which to one way in which to overcome racism, not only do you need to spend time with people, I also think you need to give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. and don't read don't read racism into everything mm -hmm. because. In fact, how would you know, for example, Thalia, if you were racist, how mm -hmm. would I know that you were racist? Uh, anything short of, you know, spouting off racial slurs and, 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 and um, anything short of yeah. just spouting off racial slurs. Like, I, I couldn't really draw that conclusion that you were no. racist. Uh, I had a friend, I'll just maybe quickly tell this story. I, I, have, a f I have an old high school friend uh, who comes from this Nigerian background, she went to Walmart and this white employee started following her around. And so she recorded this whole thing on video and she put it up on her Facebook page and everybody was saying, oh, I'm so sorry you went through this. Well, wow, this is so racist, so on and so forth. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm sorry this happened to you, but are you sure this was a racist thing? Yeah. Because for all you know, she was following you around because of your age or because of something else, right? I mean, for all I know, she, she was following. She could have had a lot of woman shoplifters that right. week or something. Yeah, and, and again, for, for all I know, well, she maybe is a racist, but I just can't draw that conclusion just mm. from 
following her around. And so um, all, all that to say, if you kind of go in there with this victim mentality, it's so easy to interpret everything as yeah. racist, everything, the deck is stacked against you and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think you, you really kind of need to let that go. Give people the benefit of the doubt and spend time with them. Yeah. And, and hopefully that'll help, uh, help us overcome racism. That's neat. Yeah. Would you mind praying for our listeners before we leave, Steve? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I will. I'd be happy to do that. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this time together. Uh, thank you that we are, we live in a country that um, has a reputation for being not as racist as some of our neighbors. Um, but even even there, uh, we we're broken people trying to live together, a bunch of sinners uh, trying to live together, and just things are bound to happen. Uh, the, the racism. It hasn't been completely eradicated in Canada, and I'm not even sure if it ever will. Um, so, Lord, as as we go on from here, we we ask that you would give us the grace to look at each individual person yeah. as the image bearer of God, mm-hmm. so that we don't just put them in a box that that this box that we will defend <laughs> to our deaths. Um, Teach us to hold to these stereotypes and, and boxes loosely. Uh, teach us to see each other uh, in light of who they really are, your image bearers. Um, and give us a greater appreciation for what it actually means to be made in your image so that when we uh, come in contact with other image bearers, we can uh, interact with them with respectful curiosity, like Dalia so aptly put put it so father uh, give us the grace for today um, as we deal with people especially those of us who live in um, areas with diverse ethnicities represented and um, hopefully give us the the grace to overcome racism Mm -hmm. one little step at a time yeah in jesus name amen amen thank you for joining us steve thanks for having me Mm -hmm. yeah